Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to... Episode 6 of the Ask Andrew podcast. I'm Andrew Kern, your host, and I'm going to continue on the path we've been taking, trying to figure out what Christian classical education is, what it has to do with daily life, and how we can make the best of it. You would perhaps recall that in the last episode we talked about the question, what is the, a child in the Christian classical tradition? And I suggested three principles, three essences of what a child is. One, he is a image of the invisible God. He is a temple of that same God, and he is a person. And we need to honor all of those things in the way we teach the child. And one of those realities, one of the realities we cannot compromise is that all of those three, all three of those things, <laughs> ideas, point to the fact that the child is a, is a mystery, that there are things about him that we can never know and we never should know. Well, today I'm going to draw back a little bit because I've, let me say the definition again. Uh, Maybe you can even say it with me. Christian classical education is the cultivation of wisdom and virtue by nourishing the soul and the true, the good and the beautiful by means of the seven liberal arts. And what I want to do in this session is kind of summarize things we've talked about but I want to explain why the seven liberal arts are so very, very important. Now, maybe you already saw a part of it. That I've been contending that all of them are arts of harmonizing, of bringing harmony to something, mainly to the mind and to the community and to our relationships with the world around us. But there may be, maybe there's more to it than that that we can look at. We talk about them as the seven liberal arts, well, what on earth is a liberal art? Of course, some people who are listening might be conservatives, and when they hear that word liberal, they say, whoa, wait a minute. Well, I have good news for you. If you're a conservative who thinks that liberal arts are a bad thing, actually, conservatism is the purest form of the right liberalism. If you're liberalism, who's mad at me for saying that about conservatism, don't worry, because conservatism traditionally has almost nothing to do with conservatism these days. So there you go. I've offended everybody. So let me draw back and try to get to the point of what the seven liberal arts are. I'm going to propose a rephrasing, an extended definition of the seven liberal arts. And I'm going to draw a parallel here. In, In the Bible, you'll sometimes read about the ark. In fact, if you hear the phrase the ark, I could ask, what am I talking about? And I might get two answers. I might get the answer, oh, Noah's Ark, the, 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 the one that settled on Mount Ararat. Or I might get, no, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. Well, if all I say is Ark, it could be easier, either. But notice that you have a longer title that can be applied to the Ark of the Covenant. But did you know you can make it even longer than that? Sometimes it is called 
the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. And sometimes they extend it even further in the Bible, and they call it the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who dwelleth between the cherubim. That's the full title. Okay, I'm going to propose to you that we can do something like that with the Seven Liberal Arts. The Seven Liberal Arts is the short title. Here's a fuller title. The Seven Liberating Arts of Truth Perception and Harmony. Now, I think that if we think of them that way, we've got at the very heart and soul of why they are so important in the classical tradition. And it also helps us to understand why they're called the liberal arts. Liberal comes from the Latin word liber, which means free. Well, what on earth could math have to do with freedom? Ah, glad you asked. In the previous talks, I've discussed how each of the seven liberating arts brings harmony to some dimension, to some domain. There's something else they do, something else they enable. Each of the liberal arts enables us to see truth in some way. If I can't count, then I can't know the truth in a very simple way here. I can't know the truth about how many apples are in the basket. I can estimate And sometimes that's all that we need to do. But if I need a precise answer and I can't count, I can't know. And if I don't know the truth, then the capacity or the reach of my freedom has just become limited. Our Lord said in the Gospel of John, talking to his disciples and talking about sin, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, that is an ultimate freedom, the highest freedom there is, a spiritual freedom. I want to suggest to you that he's given us a pattern that applies across the board. In other words, in his mercy, he's given us a thousand ways, 10,000 ways that we can see this principle in, in action so that when we apply it to the spiritual life, it makes sense to us. We can say, ah, of course. Let me illustrate, if I may, from math. Let's suppose I'm learning, oh, I don't know, let's say I'm learning multiplication, two-digit multiplication, and I'm trying to figure out 28 times, oh, 27, let's say. And I've decided that since earlier, when I was doing addition, every time I added eight and seven together, I could carry the one to the, to the tens column. So 28 plus 27, I learned that that simple algorithm that I can, eight plus seven, the one, right? 28 plus 27, the ones column gives me eight plus seven. I put the five below, gives me 15. I put the five below the eight and seven in the ones column and I carry the one over to the tens column. Now, in, I found that really comforting when I was adding, I found great consolation in the idea that all I had to do was move the one over and, and that anytime the answer was bigger than, than 10, I could just carry the one. Oh, I felt good about that. So I've decided that now in multiplication, I'm going to do the same thing every time. And you can't tell me not to because I'm a free person. Well, 
hold on a second. I was a free person when I did arithmetic after I learned that and I found comfort in it. I was a free adder. But now I'm doing multiplication. The truth in multiplication is different from the truth in addition. And if I harden my heart because of the comfort I found in the addition pattern, and I say, no, no, I'm going to do it my way. Well, all I've done is made myself a slave because I'll never be able to do math on my own. I will never be able to govern myself in multiplication. Well, if you're not governing yourself, you're not a free person, my friends. A free person is a person who rules himself. So the first step on freedom is not being able to do whatever you want, but learning how to control yourself and govern yourself. And what does that mean? Well, at least partly it means aligning yourself with reality. Reality says that 8 times 7 is 56, not 15. And therefore, I can put the 6 down below, but I'm going to have to carry a 5 instead of a 1. And if I refuse to accept that, I can insist that I'm free but all I'm doing is deepening my slavery because the truth sets you free. Now look, multiplication doesn't give you as much freedom as conquering sin. I get that, but it is analogous to it. And why not give our children and why not give ourselves the 10,000 ways or at least 20 ways that the Lord illustrates this principle for us in the way he made the creation. Do you see the principle? The truth sets you free. Truth, liberal arts, liberating arts of truth perception. Each of the seven arts is a means by which we are better able to perceive truth. Grammar. Have you ever stopped to think about how when you, lose, when you use grammar badly, you make it harder for yourself to think clearly? you make it harder for yourself to find truth. Now, I understand that there's idiomatic uses of grammar. I get that. But that's rhetoric. And, and as long as we get what we're doing, that's fine. But if you use grammar or language idiomatically and then don't know how to use it correctly, grammatically, you're undercutting your capacity to be a free person. Let's look at rhetoric. Rhetoric is a crucial liberating art. I contended earlier that rhetoric enables us to bring harmony to a community. Well, how can that be? I also contended that rhetoric is not the art of persuasion and that in the classical tradition, that's not how it's defined. Aristotle described it as um, the art of finding all the available means of persuasion a very practical definition. Plato described it as the ability to enchant the soul. Interesting definition. I have a very practical definition that I would propose to you that I think flows through the whole tradition. And that is that rhetoric is the art of making decisions in community. After all, if you're persuading somebody else, why are you doing that? It's because you want that person to agree with you. Well, that's a decision. But what if your goal in rhetoric isn't just to persuade another person, but even to be persuaded yourself? I am of the opinion, as was Aristotle, that rhetoric is mostly about listening. 
it's mostly about what he called invention. Well, he called it something else, but in Latin it became inventione, which means to seek. Rhetoric is mostly about seeking information. Call it research if you want. That's a little formal because, you know, we're always asking questions. But why? What's the goal of it? It's so that we can know when to persuade and know when not to, so that we can function ethically in our relationships with other people. That's what rhetoric is for. It is the art of decision-making because when we make decisions, we can bring community, well, we can bring harmony to a community. But think about this. What makes a decision a good one or a bad one? I would propose at least, not this is the only standard by any means, but one thing that a good decision does is it bases itself on the truth. Rhetoric is supposed to be the means by which a community, by which two people or more, talk to each other and as much as they possibly can discover the truth and then base their decision on the truth. Am I idealizing? Sure. But you do that with grammar, logic, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy too. The seven liberating arts are arts by which we bring harmony to our minds because there's something there that harmonizes them. Some, we bring harmony to our communities because there's something there that makes it possible. We bring harmony to our own thoughts because there's something there that makes it possible. What is it that makes it possible for our thoughts, our language, our discussions, our calculations, even our scientific endeavors, our relationship with each other and the world? What is it that makes it possible for us to have harmony in all those different domains? Truth. The truth that sets us free enables us also to live in harmony. My contention and belief, and this has only grown, it used to be just sort of a theory, a belief, but increasingly it's an observed conviction. If we want souls that perceive the truth well and live in harmony with each other and the world and God, we have to master the seven liberal arts. And the degree to which, nobody ever really masters them. But let me put it this way. The degree to which we master them determines the degree to which we can be one. You can't just sit around dreaming about teaching the world how to sing unless the song you're singing is the truth expressed, no, is the truth. And then you have to teach the student to perceive the truth. And that's what the seven liberal arts teach. So what I'm arguing is there the seven liberating arts of truth perception and harmony. Now, I'll stop with that because time's up. But I do want to contend that that's what your children need. And that's the curriculum of, a, of the, of the uh, classical school, classical homeschool, um, classic, that's, the, that's the natural curriculum of learning. That's how, that's what you have to learn. The seven liberating arts of truth, perception, and harmony. 
I'll end with a quotation from Dante that I love very much. It's from his Paradiso. He said, Much worse than uselessly he leaves the shore, more full of error than he was before, who fishes for the truth, but lacks the art. Your children are fishing for the truth. Teach them the art. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.